to the 10th episode of Rewriting the Narrative, Women in the Justice System. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was put together on the lands of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation and pay respects to Elders past, present and future. For this podcast, I'm so very pleased to be able to have one woman who's open to sharing her journey with all of our listeners. I met Casey about 16 months ago when we got a call from one of our legal colleagues asking for some help. One of her clients was on remand at Dame Phyllis, however, she'd arranged a place for her at a therapeutic alcohol and drug residential program that she could get her client bailed to. So this is a super hard thing to get. The second hard thing was that she didn't have any way of getting Casey from Dame Phyllis through to the therapeutic community. For those that don't know the system, you might be surprised that something as simple as getting a professional to transport someone from a jail to a place of recovery is an exceptionally hard thing to do. And that's despite the enormous benefits and costs saved on keeping that person in custody as well as um, supporting their recovery in a therapeutic way. So we were able, given the flexibility of living free, we were able to support this. And so the journey began and we met Casey. And there I I recall very clearly that first meeting and I was immediately thankful that I'd had the opportunity to be in her presence and have her share her journey so openly with two strangers that were simply giving her a lift. Within the first half an hour, I knew that Casey had so much to give and with the right support around her, this would be a pivotal time for her to break that cycle that she'd found herself in. So we welcome Casey. So welcome, Casey. We're absolutely thrilled to have you on this podcast. Um, I am going to stop talking and kick over to you if you want to share a little bit about your journey. So what what you've learned and really what you want others to know. This is giving you a platform to talk about, you know, where your journey, what might have impacted and, and how we can really change the system for the better. Okay, so um, I like to start from the beginning. So, well, I mean, the beginning of, of, of now. So I was in active addiction for 14 years. That's half, that was half of my life before I went to rehab. So I was 20, by the time I was 27, I had been to jail four times and been and, and gone to rehab. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't know, my, my, um, for me, my, my journey, I think I was, I was born into this type of that, that type of lifestyle. Um, my mum was married to someone who was, you know, a prominent figure, um, you know, in, in that type of, uh, in that type of world. So, um, it was sort of, you know, crime, drugs, violence was, um, was normal. Um, although my mum didn't, um, my mum didn't use while she had us, she used previously. Um, but just, just growing up with those, you know, that morals, those morals, that lifestyle, that whole, that whole, you know, um, thing, it sort of, I, I ended up mimicking my, my mum's, um, lifestyle. So I ended up in, um, relationships that were seriously violent. Um, I had a child with one, with one of those people, um, and, yeah, like that, that sort of, that sort of, that sort of when stuff's, you know, got, 
got even harder. Um, the violence with with my ex um, in turn ended up with DHS involved, um, and then uh, you know there was there was life restraining orders, and those those restraining orders would get broken quite a lot. And um, Mason, my son, ended up with in in my mum's care. Um, and then when that happened is when um, my, you know, my addiction took control. So I I'd had obviously, you know, been involved in, with drugs previous to that, but I hadn't been using for, um, you know, I, I didn't use for the whole time I was pregnant with Mason and a year afterwards. And um, it was only until a year afterwards and my child never slept. I thought, fuck it, you know, I'll just, I'll just use, this is easier. <laughs> so I'm really interested because you've sort of spoken about that intergenerational stuff. Um, through adolescence, like, you know, an engagement with school, were there, you know, did did things get a little bit more hectic or were there services or anyone that was trying to intervene back in that stage? No. Um, I think, like, I can't really... I don't know. My mum had, my mum, like, you know, I'm one of eight kids. So I grew up with, um, you know, like the, the youngest one is only 12. So I was 17 when my mum had her. Um, so I grew up, there were seven of us in a household growing up. And I'm not sure whether it was because of, you know, the, the friends that my mum held and the people that she knew, whether or not that, um, prevented services being involved um and this is something that I have said you know I argued with my mum later on in life when when Mason was with, with her and I you know I was I was resentful and I was mad and I, I remember saying to her you know fucking DHS should have been involved with us there was a lot of violence there was a lot of alcohol um you know my mum wasn't an alcoholic but her part at all violent my mum was really you know my mum did well raising us but she placed us in toxic households and now you know being through that myself I understand I get it I totally get it but at the time you know all I all I did was um you know I I, I don't even know how I passed year eight like mm. I I never went to school like if I went to school I did well but I I wagged school all the time like we would be at the beach we'd be fucking drinking we'd be fighting punching on with people all the time um you know, so like, I don't know whether it was because I was the oldest child and, you know, that whole trial and everything, you know, um, but yeah, like my mum's never really been the type of person to um, force a life into someone, you know, like you have to be this person, you have to do this and you, you need to do that. She always made, she, like, she always told us that we had to go to school, but I, I feel like at some point she must have just given up and thought, fuck it, you know, I've got, I've got other kids I can, I can make do with. Like, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Because, like, you know, if she told me no, which was very, very, very rare, um, you know, I would just fucking do it anyway. So, you know, instead of going out and drinking in, in parks and, um, you know, getting into trouble in the streets, there was a time where um, my mum thought, fuck this. I'll just let all you and your friends drink at the house under my supervision and I can tell you when to stop. So that's the type of, you know, mm -hmm. upbringing and through my teenagers and going to school is what mm -hmm. I had. It was more or less, you're going to do it. So instead of, instead of you doing it behind my back, I may as well, you know, have a place where all you can come and, and do all this. So, um, you know, school was easy for me. I actually, um, I didn't have issues at school. Um, but I did, I did leave school um, in year nine. I, um, 
I tried to leave at the end of year eight and um, they called me back in because I, I went to I went to Pakenham um, Secondary College. They called me back in and they said, um, you know, we have really high VCE scores, blah, blah, blah. And they gave me an ultimatum. They said, look, if you if you just come to school in year nine for, um, you know, things like like maths, English, um, and, and there was like an elective of mine, like, so, um, you know, so, social studies, stuff like that things that you have to do not things like um PE and like um science and all these things then um you know you can make your own fucking timetable and and and, and we'll you know we'll um we'll help you with that so that's what happened and then I found it harder like you know sometimes I was going to school for one period at the end of the day sometimes I was going to school for one period at the start of the day or in the middle of the day so in the end I thought I'm not going to school and then um, and then I left. So um, after that, it was like a year after that. So I just went into, you know, doing what teenagers do if they're already drinking and partying. I did a lot of that. Um, and then I So did how old were you then? About 15, 15, 14, 14, 15, yeah. Um, and then I went, I did, I did v, community VCAL. So I actually skipped, I got, I got assessed at a year 11 level. So I skipped the remainder of year nine and year 10 and I did I've actually got my year 11 equivalent um yeah so good yeah and was that through a TAFE that you went the VCAL yeah it was called um no not a TAFE it was called um Oz Kids or something Oz Kids um and it was in Pakenham and Cranbourne mm. um and then uh, uh it came to my 16th birthday um and my birthday went for four days and I never, I never went back to school. So I, I could have stayed and did the year 12. It was a lot of, um, it was a lot of OH&S stuff that we did, um, a lot of hands-on and a lot of people who I had, um, I had gone to mainstream school with um, ended up in the same program. So it was, it was just like a mimic of, of school all over again. Um, yeah. And it just, it didn't, it didn't end very well. <laughs> You got your year 11 equivalent. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So, so during your adolescence, had you come across any contact with the police or court? You said no service sort of involvement. Flown under the radar a bit there. What about the, the police? Um, as a teenager, not so much. Like I had been arrested multiple times for, um, you know, uh, like fights that had 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 occurred at like parties and things like that but never never um like like cuffed arrested on the spot it was more or less like they would come around the next day and they would you know take us down to the police station that type of stuff but I was never actually charged for anything so I never had to front a magistrate it wasn't until I was um 23 um 23 yeah, it was when I, I started getting arrested for things. Um, Interesting yeah. to see. Have were you ever reported missing? No, never. Mm. But I, I never, I never like, I never ran away. What, why did you have to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <know>? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it'd sort of be in contact with the police, but nothing sort of formal. Um, no formal no referrals to service from the police just don't do it again see you next time 
Yeah, and like, you know, a lot of the whole, um, you know, back when if you were caught drinking in the streets, the cops would sort of just take all your alcohol off you and fucking send you home. Like things like that would happen all the time. Um, you know, I'd been I'd been around for, you know, other mates being arrested for, you know, things that, that we had done when we were younger. It was mainly the boys, though. They would always be the ones in and out. Um, you know, a lot of my friends ended up in juvie Um all like my guy friends never never female friends um yeah Mm. Yeah. um but on reflection I'm really interested do you think that that a referral to a service or anything could have been done at that early stage when you were in your adolescence and having that police contact could there been anything there that might have intervened or what like on reflection I guess um honestly I probably would have still done the exact same thing like it probably would have made it worse um and and you know I was going to do whatever I wanted to do I was rebelling against whoever the fuck I wanted to you know I didn't like my my um you know my, my stepdads were were violent um alcoholics um and especially this one at that stage, um, he was the worst one. Um, and like I, I, you know, you know, knowing what I know now, um, I I'd obviously was dealing with some sort of trauma um, response back then. So, you know, I, um, you know, I didn't want to be at home um, because of what was going on. Like I had learned how to fight to fight for my mum. You know all, all all of those things. Um, I never really got to. You know, I was I was um, you know forever grabbing my brothers and sisters and making sure that they were okay, like things like that. So I I never I never wanted to be at home. And and if I was if I was at home, like I was I was going home after drinking a lot. Um, yeah, there was just like a and and you know when my mum when my mum decided that she would allow you know a place where. Um, you know, me and my friends, which was, was, there was always a lot of us um, to party, you know, again, that would be on a different level. Um, But yeah, you know, I I never, I never wanted to be at home because of, because of that stuff. Um, But I never ran away. So that's, that's a good thing. (laughs) You know, I I really, I really don't think um, much would have come from services because, I remember writing an essay whilst I've been um, in rehab around, um, I can't remember what the topic was, but I remember writing something around, um, I remember the first time that I ever lied to police and I would have been about, you know, eight or nine years old um, and it was uh, the cops were at our house because my stepdad was being arrested for being, you know, violent. Um, And my mum had, I remember seeing my mum say something, um, they'd asked her a question um, and I seen what she said and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to say the same thing because I don't want anyone to get into trouble. So I would have, I, like, you know, a lot of, not a lot of my friends knew what was really going on at home, but some, most of them did. Um, and I still wouldn't have told authorities what was going on. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that, I guess that distrust of services and authorities started from a very young age. Yeah. Um, and you were in survival mode. Yeah. That's, you know, plain and simple. So, um, so, but you got your, you, you, you've obviously got heaps of strengths, like being able, that resilience and going back and getting your year 11 VCAL and, you know, still being 
in and out of police contact, but you said nothing formal until you were about in your early 20s. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long time to fly under the radar. Why do you yeah. think that is? And, and you mentioned that a lot of your male friends, and I guess this is just, you know, interest of mine, like were police more lenient on your female friends and yourself? Or no, you just didn't do as, you know? Yeah. Look, I honestly, um, it, you know, what the boys were doing was a lot worse than what we were doing, you know. Right. Um, a lot of crime, a lot of, a lot of you know, house houses, a lot of, you know, stealing a lot of things, things like that. Um, and that's not something that I was involved in until I, I, I lost Mason, really. Mm. Um so, you know, like the things that, you know, the, the times that I had been questioned by police around um, assaults and things like that, I honestly think that um, people were too scared to have me charged, to mm. be honest. Um, that's that's the only thing I can think of, um, you know, which which I, um, you know, put out there, like that mm. was... That, that that's that's just how it was um yeah. <laughs> yeah so like that's I think that's why um it never really went that far mm. and you were associating with them with the males and your your male friends that were doing I guess your higher tariff and and higher risk offending and it yeah. was just you know that association as well so we do see that a lot with our young girls and women um that the you know main perpetrators are often at the start the the males so um so tell me a little bit more tell us tell the tell us about then you know after 16 left VCAL. um so we um we moved we were living in cranbourne at the time um and my mum was going through a divorce. Um, she was divorcing my stepdad. Um, and she ended up getting a, a public housing offer in, um, you know, where she lives now. Um, and that was too far for me. I was actually, I was actually still working at this time. Mm -hmm. I had been, I was working at um, Hunger Jacks in Pakenham. So, um you know, and I was, I was still, I was, you know, like this is sort of just before my 16th, I was still going to, to VCAL and stuff as well. Um, you know, then my birthday happened, all that stuff. So my mum my moved to another suburb and um, I was like, I'm not moving there, you know. Um, so we were actually friends with the guy across the road and he, um, he had rooms that he was actually putting on like, you know, housemates or Gumtree or whatever it was back then. Um, so I ended up moving into his house um, and then, you know, the, you know, I was still heavily involved with, um, you know, I was using um, ecstasy all the time, um, like a lot all the time um, and drinking and, and, you know, doing other things. Um, so, you know, living on my own and my, the guy who I lived with was also an alcoholic <laughs> um he you know that that sort of just ha was like a you know foundation for you know all the people that I knew all the friends that I had from from Pakenham and and whatnot um you know we just started doing that a lot and then 
I don't know what happened. Like maybe I didn't pay the rent or something. Um, and I ended up with in a relationship with someone who I knew and, um, you know, moved back to Pakenham. Um, and then it just was sort of, you know, like that for a long time. Like I ended up living with um, a friend of, a female friend of mine who I um, I had, you know, gone to school with um, in Berwick and then, yeah, like it just, just sort of went back and forth from there. Um, how many How many places do you think you lived from like when you were 16, say, to when you had Mason? How old when, were you when you had Mason? I, ha- I, was, uh, I was 19. I turned 20 a couple of days later. Um, mm. Yeah, I had lived in quite a few different places by that stage. Like I'd lived in, um, you know, I'd lived in Berwick, Cranbourne, um, Pakenham, um, Bales, mm. um, then back to Pakenham. Um, and then I had Mason in Pakenham um, and then I left, um, I left his dad. Mm. Um, and I lived in Nari Warren. That was like the first place that we had um, that was on our own, me and Mason. How did you get that place? Did you use any services or? Yeah, so not intentionally. So what happened was is um, uh, Mason was only a few weeks old and my ex, um, so our relationship, like, you know, I ended up staying with him again after this, um, you know, we were on and off for years and years. Um, so he, um, I was bathing Mason um, and he hit me while I was holding the child. So um, that was the first time that that had happened after having Mason. Like we had, we had, had physical fights even while I was pregnant beforehand, um, things like that. Um, and I thought like, I thought, fuck this, like, this is ridiculous, you know? And I ended up calling a friend of mine um, and she, um, I think she was the one that contacted the police um and then we ended up we ended up in court and um I remember saying so there was an interim um restraining order put in place and I was like I don't want this like I don't (laughs) honestly I do not want this like you know I didn't go to the police um you know all all of these things and um yeah like you know the, the restraining order ended up being put in place anyway um but yeah you know like that's that's how I ended up in I forgot what the question was but that that's how I ended up in um in Nari with Mason. So a service uh, probably yeah, got involved. Yeah. Yeah. So because I was under 21, mm-hmm. um, so the or under 25, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is, but there was the youth services. Um, because because there was a, a restraining order put in place, um, they were uh they were involved. So I was I was given like, I think it was like some sort of volunteer thing through ways. Um, and my, my youth worker, he was awesome. Um, and I'll never forget him because I remember, I I didn't know this about him in the beginning, but like, you know, like a year into our dealings, um, he was, he told me that he was, um, you know, he was a recovering addict and he, he had, um, his, his partner, um, had actually abandoned their child, um, at the hospital and he had no choice but to get clean and take on, take on his child, um, so yeah, like he he got me a place um, through through ways, which was a domestic violence housing um, in Nari Warren, only because of a restraining order. With mm. that, I didn't want in the first place. So you know, <laughs> oh, it's funny how the world works, isn't it? Yeah. But you know, yeah. that's what does 
what really interests me is um, you'll never forget that youth worker. And, you know, uh, obviously there was some form of connection there that, you know, your resistance to services previously. Do you, do you think he, there was something around his lived experience that yeah. allowed you to open up? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I think, um, because like I said, I, I didn't know this about him in the beginning, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, um, I am, a, I am a people person, um, and I can, I can talk to anybody. But when someone else can do that, um, it, it intrigues me. Um, and there was this thing that he did, um, all the time, and it, it would, it would get Mason's attention. He used to carry, you know, like the skateboard tech decks. He used to carry one of them with him all the time and he would be talking to you and he would be playing with this thing. And I remember this is, this is how, this is what sparks the conversation of how I found out that he was a recovering addict. Um, I said like, what, like, you know, and he would bring one for Mason and they'd be playing with these things. And I'm like, what, why do you do that? And he was like, Oh, I have really bad anxiety. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then, and then it went from that into, you know, I'm, he told me his story and I was like, wow. But, like, I'd already had this connection with him. I already found him interesting. Just the way that he spoke, like, you know, um, he wouldn't try and act as if he was better than you. He, he'd be on your level just, you know, he'd throw a few swear words in here every now and then. Just, just He was just like my, you know, it was, it was like that. He was older than me, but he was like, you know, really, really adapt to, you know, generation and, and, and whatever, just the way that, he could talk, um, but yeah, that this uh, the whole tech deck thing with the anxiety that got me. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like a it, there was something genuine about yeah. about what he was there for and what he was trying to do as a professional, and yeah. I think that carries a lot. And obviously, um, you know, with your experience in the past, that was something that he that that was meant to be, and and that's something that he probably knew that you needed was to build trust in him yeah in knowing that he'd walked a bit of that walk <laughs> I guess yeah and like I remember I remember him coming to the house one day and um like I hadn't um like I, I obviously hadn't cleaned up properly like you know my house was there was like you know toys everywhere um you know stuff all over the benches or whatever and I was like oh I'm so sorry about the mess and he's like you don't understand the types of houses I've walked into, you know, like saying, you know, I've, I've walked into homes that have, you know, you go to sit down and there's fucking needles in the couch. And I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, just just things like that. He would just be so blasé to, you know, whatever, you know, those things, the material things, he didn't really care. It was just more about, you know, what what was going on for you, what you needed support with. Um, so I, I was only in that um, transitional house for um, 12 months and I ended up in, he fast-tracked um, a public housing application and I had, <laughs> I was on the waiting list for three months um, and ended up in a house in Endeavour Hills. Mm. Yeah. You know what, what I also get from the way that you're speaking about that engagement is the importance of that connection and that's something else we've spoken about on our previous podcast is it's not about process. It's not about ticking boxes. It's about that connection that builds that trust. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you and then got into public housing again, and he, he sounds like he very much followed through on, yeah. on what he was saying and I guess had your back in a sense. Yeah. 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 Really good, 
good traits of a you know a professional in the sector yeah mm. yeah so then you wound up in public housing yeah did you still get support from the him um no mm. no um that's where because like you know that it's not um transitional housing I suppose like because I was yeah I I don't know like it just sort of went from from that to nothing um mm -hmm. but I did have um support from places like connections mm -hmm. um but that was only after um the police had been out to the house a few times because um the neighbors had called the cops because of my ex um, so that was like before DHS got involved. There was like the voluntary services and all, all of those things. So um, yeah, I sort of just went from that to nothing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and until then, you you start getting those police calls again. Yeah, yeah it's um, and again, we often see that in the service system. It's you know, you develop the connection, you get the support that you need. You're on your feet. So they back, they step out, and yeah. and then um, there's sort of a bit of a gap in in support and moving forward. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely um, yeah, it probably would have helped if um, that person stayed connected. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. So then um, that cycle seemed to continue with your ex, and yeah. the police were being called, and yeah, yeah, that's the voluntary before the child protection formally get involved isn't it yeah I think it's like five five calls um like five you know I'm pretty sure it's like if the cops come out like five times um because they have to make a mandatory um report um is when then when DHS gets involved yeah um, and that's what had happened and then so DHS got involved for three months mm -hmm. um and I had to do um I had to do drug tests for three months. I think I only ended up doing one every month and then they closed the case. But but in the first UDS that I did, it actually came back positive for amphetamine. Um, I had gone to Future Music, Music Festival and um, I had used, um, you know, big ecstasy again and, um, and that was like weeks prior to that. So that came up in, and Valium came up in my UDS. Um, and then two drug tests after that, they fucking closed the case. Like, <laughs> any referrals? No, nothing. No. And so, was it? Sorry, I'm just trying to. But was it prior to that that um, the voluntary services were involved? Yep. Connection. So what, what was your experiences with them? Um. They were they were okay. They, they were they were good. Um, but every time a service has been involved, and um, I was actually really surprised that this isn't something that um, um, when I went into rehab that they didn't do. Um, so every time I'd have to sit and explain to them my origin. Um, you know the whole family tree thing, who's an addict, who, you know, who's used drugs, who's used alcohol, who's been violent. Like, obviously, the violence was the, the big one for it. And um, I'd lose interest from them because people were so interested in the fact that I have so many brothers and sisters, we have different dads, they're all 
either alcoholics and they were violent, um, you know, and then and then Mason's dad, um, you know, because they would go go to that as well. So, you know, his, you know, um, you know, bit like violence, drugs, alcohol, then his parents and then, you know, and it did just keep going on and um, I'd lose interest. So I feel I felt like people were just trying to get to know who I was and then that was it. That would make their mind up. Um, so there was like a lot of these things where they were trying to get me to, um, take Mason to like swimming lessons and all of it, all of this stuff. But at the time, um, I didn't know that I was, you know, I, I, I was dealing with some severe anxiety. So, you know, I would do it, but I would have no support around me. Like I had no um like so I'd lose interest in that I'd do it one time and feel like I couldn't go back because um people I was like the youngest person there um you know with with a child um you know or the only person with like tattoos or something you know like it was just things like that um that would seriously you know deter me and like I remember um you know when I had Mason and I um had the maternal and child health nurse in Nary Warren and they tried to get me involved in like mother's groups and I was like I don't need that shit. You know, I've got lots of friends that have kids, but I never fucking seen them, you know, like it wasn't until like later on, like there was only some people, but I was using with them. So, you know, it didn't, it didn't really fucking didn't do anything for me. So like, I feel, and like, I never had a car, don't have a license. Um, you know, so it just made it harder. Like there was nothing, there was nothing that they were really doing. They were just trying to keep me busy, I, I guess. Mm. Um, and I think that it's so difficult as a first-time mother anyway, let alone you're processing trauma, like you've said, yeah. like on reflection, you've got this anxiety, plus you've got transport barriers. So, yeah. you know, without somebody there, I guess, in a sense, holding your hand or being with you to share those experiences or just introduce you, that's a really daunting thing for mm-hmm a young mum to do regardless of all the other stuff that was going on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely hard. Yeah. And then, you know, it, obviously I'm with your, um, I'm going to say oppositional <laughs> attitude <laughs> that you um, have yeah. said that you had when you were younger, that anxiety can often come out as quite a resistance and services see that as not willing to engage. I'm saying that, I'm putting that in inverted commas, whereas it's actually the anxiety and yeah. that and the and the fear. And so you're subjected, like you said, to these um intake and assessments. So all those questionings about your background and all of that on multiple times yeah. to then have nothing sort of come of it because I guess there's not that person to walk with you and not that connection formed. Yeah. Yeah, it would really, yeah, it, yeah, you're right. It's the connection. There was no real um, interest in what was, it was more, it was like, like, it was, you know, it was like someone was doing a study, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll just find out about who you are, where you come from and, and what your whole family origin's about and then I'm done. And and um, that's what it felt like. And then, you know, like, and like I grew up with, you know, like my mum was going through all these things um, that, you know, that were, like what I went through, like was, was you know, half of what my mum had actually gone through. And she never had support either. Um, and, but she still fucking kept going at it. 
like seeing someone do that um, my whole life, you know, I never seen her cry. I never seen her break down and, you know, all these things. Like I, I've, I've I'd seen her, you know, mouth off and fight back sometimes, but, you know, that's, that's really it. Um, so seeing, seeing that was, was like, you know, someone tried to get in, involved and give me support and then they're doing that. Like, I'm just like, what you know like I didn't really know what support was about anyway I'd never seen it I'd never really had it um and I I didn't know what was right for for what like you know what what's the right support so you know these people trying to engage with me I would just and with no connection um yeah I would just be like what the fuck are you doing here like I can do this just leave me alone you know um yeah well, how we seem to have it so wrong, um, you know. <laughs> it's um, and you know when when I'm lucky enough to have women like yourself share their journey and how they experience it, I want to say yes, this is it. You know, we this is what we hear all the time that it just seems to be process and not actually about that connection, and we seem to have lost it. And you you saying that just. It, you know you've experienced it so yeah um and and obviously you know there there seems to be a couple of pivotal times where things could have gone a bit differently if if you had that connection if things had been a bit different but you know obviously that cycle had continued with your ex yeah and then child protection came involved closed after three months and the cycle continues yeah yeah mm. and like uh you know like on, on that like I feel I feel like um you know if if services were getting involved with women in you know a similar situation that I was in you know the last thing that people want to hear is um you know you need to go to the police about him because pe- they're never going to fucking do it so stop trying to ask them it's not going to happen <laughs> you know um, the last thing they're going to do is turn turn someone like that in, you know, like after a lifestyle that they've lived, it's never going to happen. Um, so they need to find a fucking way around that, you know. Um, like, yeah, you know, things like that need to, you know, they don't need to be told all the time, like, oh, like vi- domestic violence and stuff like that is such a complex fucking thing. Like it's not as easy as what people think it is. Unless you've lived through it, I, I feel like people that haven't lived through it can't advise or encourage in the in the best possible way um because you know for start like for me I I um I respond better to people who um you know like in in like you know like clinical settings um I respond to people better like you know respond better to people who have lived experience or or they're a child of someone or a mum of someone that has lived experience um, because they have something to relate to. They can, they can, you know, tell you a little story where you can be like, oh, well, then this happened to me, you know, not, not like trying to get stories out of you, you know. Um, yeah, I feel like that, that shit needs to be completely, you know, turned around. <laughs> yep. We, and it's, I guess it is a, field I know in the in the drug and alcohol field we absolutely embrace lived experience and um mental health as well and I and I have seen a shift in the family violence space 
um, that that it is starting to be around that, and it's and it really is that um, I guess that balance of prioritising risk and safety, but also a you know making sure that everything is in place to do the best to provide. Um, a level of safety for that woman that might not be willing to go to the police or not not want to go down that path. But, yeah. you know, I guess holding them and, and connecting them when they're ready as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because, you know, like in those, in those positions, like, you know, they may not, you know, they may not um, like, particularly like that person at the time, but they still love them mm. and they have children with them. It's you know, it's the it's 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 a lot harder than than what it fucking looks to just be like, look, hey, you need to leave this person. Like, yeah, just leave them. That's yeah, it does not work like that. <laughs> no, no. Um, it, it is. Have you followed any of the family violence reforms? I know you're quite an educated woman, and you know, you I guess you've done probably a lot of reading. And um, have you are you aware of any of them? Um, what do you mean, like? reforms oh like there was a royal commission into the system um into the whole system and um there's been a lot of changes like there's a centralized orange door sort of centralized intake and those sorts of things i was just curious oh, if you had yeah. so like safe steps and stuff like that yeah 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 i've i've gone through safe steps once mm-hmm. um but yeah, look, I um, you know, when connections got involved, like in the beginning, like with with Mason, when connect, they 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 also offered me to go to like a women's domestic violence group, um, and I remember saying to her, um, no, and they, she was like, no, you know, I think this would be a really good idea. I said, you know, from from what I know, a lot of people that are going to be going to this group are still in really violent relationships, and I don't think that I could handle someone sitting there saying they want help but they won't leave that setting do you know what I mean um and for me I I was the giver as much as I was the receiver so I didn't feel like I fit into that um category if if that makes sense so you know I I could I could start the fight and fit the physical fight as much as what my ex did and and we were both to blame and there was a lot of you know that there was never, um, you know, mental or emotional or uh, financial abuse. It was pure physical. Um, and, you know, a lot of that stuff for me came from growing up um, as well. So, yeah, like I've, um, yeah, I've, I've, um, it's, it's, it's been like later relationships, which also have been violent um, as well as mental and emotional and abuse, like abusive um, that has given me the most trauma rather than, you know, my son's dad. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting. And this is where your lived experience is just, you know, so beneficial to teaching us in the sectors uh, around what it is and what it means for women as well that are experiencing yeah. it. Um, so, and you were using, so with your, you hadn't used with Mason for a while. Yep. And then, yeah. you know, when you were in the public housing in your own place, you didn't have a great deal of support. Did you find that really challenging not to sort of fall back into patterns? 
um as in like using and stuff yeah so that, that's that's when it all started sort of start, you know I started using in the transitional house um mm-hmm. you know it was more more or less um you know uh like I said Mason never slept mm. like at all um I had really struggled with that um and my ex was using um so I thought fuck it like if you can't beat them join them you know like that's when I started like I, I had used ice when I was like 16 um and it wasn't really like I liked it, but um, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really like it four days later. Um, so you know, I I was more into like speed and and um, ecstasy and stuff like that. So it wasn't until after I had like like I said like a year after I had Mason and and um, when I you know went into that whole you know if I, if you can't beat them fucking join them you know that's when I started using ice um, again and you know I'd been involved with GHB and stuff like that but like this is when this is when it started getting um, you know this is when it the, the beginning of the end was was when I was about 21. Um, when you were yeah. alone with a one-year-old yeah. that wasn't sleeping socially isolated yes. and yeah. a lack of real connection. Yeah. yeah yeah and you know still trying to be involved with that lifestyle of what I grew up with who I was friends with you know um all of that stuff mm-hmm. um yeah and you know like I I um you know especially with the JHB like I ended up overdosing in 2015 um and then this is when this is when DHS um placed Mason in um mum's care mm-hmm. um Although I was, I didn't have Mason when I overdosed, like I was not anywhere near him. Um, yeah, so, you know, like I I think that I was, um, I remember a good friend of mine, um, he was, you know, my best friend of like 10 years. I remember him saying to me one night um, when we were all out together um, and I was using a lot of, a lot of juice, like JHB, um, and I remember him saying to me, Casey, you're not the type of person to um, to use drugs to cover up something. And I remember being like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Um, and then, you know, I didn't it didn't really click till you know a few years later. I was like, "Fuck, he's right!" Like he was right. Um, whatever, whatever. I, like I, I feel like that's when I started using drugs as as a um, coping mechanism to trauma. Um, yeah. And when Mason was removed, did you get any referrals for support then? Did you get, you know, I know that there's things in place now, um, like family reunification orders and referrals and supports like that. Was there any of that that was attempted? Um, Yeah, yeah. So I ended up going through the system for three years, three and a half years. Um, and, you know, at one point I, um, you know, like I, 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 I was doing the right thing. I actually was doing the right thing. But then they kept making me jump through all these fucking hoops. And then, you know, at the time, like me and my mum have a really good relationship now. But back then, mm. like the things that, that <laughs> you know, I, um, I've had to let go of. Um, otherwise, I would, you know, at, at one point, like I, I literally wanted to fucking kill it, you know. <laughs> I was going to kidnap my kid, <laughs> things mm. like that, you know. Um, thank fuck I never did any of that stuff. But um, it was definitely, I definitely planned to. <laughs> um, so, you know, like that didn't, that did not help. Like, so in the beginning they said, you know, Mason, you know, Mason being with your mum, you you have the option to go and live with her. 
she said no um that's when it all started you know like there was like all this stuff and then you know I was um at the time trying to uh um what do you call it when you have an intervention order that you're trying to um amend vary very, that's it. I was trying to vary um, the intervention order with Mason's dad because um, there was this life order and we kept getting caught and he kept going to fucking jail um, over it. And, you know, so I was trying to vary that stuff. Um, you know, obviously in the beginning when DHS was trying to get the whole story, you know, they, they really tried to fucking get me to turn on on his dad and I was like, you know, they never got anything from me. We, I never, never made him out to be bad. And he did the exact same thing to me. And I remember... Remember the first order, um, the first the first um, court court report um, stated the the loyalty that we had as parents, and they did not like it. Um, you know, so they they really tried hard to, you know, do this, and I, I ended up I ended up being like, okay, so, you know, we, we're we're trying to stay in a relationship, we're trying to get this order varied, um, and it wasn't working, and they were like you know, we're not going to fucking give you kid bag if you're still with him. So we had to stop all of that. Um, but we still didn't, you know, say anything bad about each other. Um, and then they started sort of, you know, being on my side type thing. Um, but yeah, you know, I was, I was um, doing drug tests. They were all clean. Um, and they, you know, they just kept making me jump through these hoops. And I thought, fuck this, like, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. Um, that's when I threw it all in. Mm. Um, and I started using, uh, again, you know, and I, um, I went, um, you know, I just stopped. They never got a dirty drug test from me. I just never went if I was, if I was high, um, which was all the fucking time. Um, you know, like, yeah, that, that stuff was happening. And then it got to like, you know, the last, the last, um, court case. Um, and I remember, um, them saying it was like the second last or whatever and I remember them saying um I remember the magistrate saying to me um at children's court um at this next court case we'll order Mason to be back in your your custody um if you have a stable house um two weeks later I was arrested in Pakenham um with with um with drugs on me um and I remember um I know I just didn't go I just like I remember sitting in that 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 court um and the people before me I remember this this lady and her, and her partner uh, being absolutely slammed by the fucking magistrate around um you know something similar that had happened um and that was just for you know marijuana like I remember them getting slammed and I thought fuck like you know this is going to go straight to the children's court magistrate um you know, it looks really bad, um, you know, juices and just, just, it's, it's a fucking really bad, bad thing to be caught with, especially the, you know, the amount that I was caught with, I was like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going, I'm not doing it. So I, I never went, um, I never went to the last court case. Um, and then not long after that, <clears throat> I went to jail for the first time. Um, uh, or it, was, it wasn't, it was, it was actually like a good six to eight months or something later. Um, I went to jail and um, they, um, it was like while I was in there, the um, the the court case had gone to court, which was the very last one um, where they were putting through the um, oh, I forgot what it's called, but 
virtually it would mean that Mason was permanently um, the permanent permanent care order um, mm. with with my mum, and um, no one told me, no one told me. I didn't know until I got out. So um, you know that's that's when it was sort of all over. And then my mum had an intervention order um, in place, which she fucking rightfully um, so had um, for two years, and I didn't I didn't see him for two years um, after the after after all that. Until I went to rehab, um, and I, I have now actually um, handed over custody to my mum the right way. Mm. Um, yeah, so my mum has, um, you know, permanent care of Mason and will till he's 18. Mm. But, yeah, like, you know, I, I wasn't doing the right thing for a majority of the time, but in the beginning I really did try hard. Um, and then because of that, like, you know, it was just me and Mason and the things that they, my mum was saying, you know, when, when Mason ended up in her care really fucking really got to me because um, I didn't have support from anybody. And then when all this stuff came about of, you know, I've tried to help you and all this stuff, I was like, what? You know, like, no, no, you haven't. And um, it, that's, I think that was whatever, whatever happened um, when he was like ripped out from underneath me really fucked with me um and that's that put me in it like I don't have anything left so fuck it I'm gonna go on a you know one-way trip to to jail really mm. and that happened had you had corrections orders before or like I'm just sort of you went from ne- never really being arrested and charged to then within eight months in jail for the first time Oh, no, look, I'd been I'd been getting arrested and being charged for things leading up to that. Um, okay. So it was just the fact that I had, um, you know, I I had um, done the right. It was just the the fact that I'd been caught with what I'd been caught with um, was like I'm not going to that children's court um, hearing. So at one stage, I'd had like I had like thirty. This was back before you know, that whole, um, if you're on bail, then you're arrested, you go to jail. So this, this you, you could still get arrested and be bailed on multiple different fucking charges. Um, and, you know, I, I had like, um, you know, I was a fail to appear, um, all, all of those things, you know, I had been charged with a lot of different things. At one stage I had 30 pending um, charges in the Melbourne Magistrates Court um, and, you know, at the time being on bail for um, an armed robbery before the charges were, were dropped. So um, there was there was like, you know, it, there was a lot. So it all started like I started getting arrested for little things. Um, you know, even even when even when I overdosed, I, they found gear on me. And, you know, six months later, I was fucking charged with that, you know, like just just things like that. Was it mainly drug related, your offending? Uh, no, no, it was mainly violent, violent offending. Um, yeah, but you know, like it just, just, just little things. Like it, it was always random stuff. Like not random. It was always different stuff. You know, like I'd been charged with, you know, possession, you know, drug possession, or um, you know, uh, an assault. Uh, fucking, you know, driving recklessly. Um, you know, more drugs. Fucking, and then you know things like. Um, you know, receiving stolen goods, the, an armed robbery charge. Um, yeah, you know, lots, lots of like lot, lots of little things. Um, you know, I, I, I did five months once just on a threat to kill. Um, mm. 
and and everything else that I was charged with, which was like assaults and stuff, ran concurrent for like three months. So, you know, like for the smallest things, I've done the most time for. Um, yeah. It's, and that really, I guess, you know, the nature of your charges and the amount of your charges really does show the chaos of your life. That, yeah. you know, that's quite indicative of, like you said, that one-way trip to jail. That's 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 where you were going. Yeah. Mm. And so how old were you when you first went to prison? Um, 24. Yeah, I would have been 24 because I would have been turning 25 that year. Um, yeah. And is there much support in prison? And then when you get out of prison? Um, I think I think there is a lot of support in there. Depends on what you need support for. Um, you sort of got the fucking access to, you know, you fill out a form and you sort of got someone calling you up to somewhere or you've got a video link with someone um, pretty quickly, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're on remand because you know you're not you know actually sentenced for anything yet. And then and then once being sentenced um, as well. Uh, is there's a, a whole different lot of support but um you know I think that the biggest support um that I I had once when I was in there was through Cicada um and I had um not known that so like a lot of a lot of my later on um things that I was arrested for was due to violence um because of what I now know um and I sort of knew then as well um you know was people people who displayed um the same mannerisms as someone who has um you know sexually assaulted people like like myself um I would pick up on that um and and if I seen them display the same thing as what this person had um, I would automatically just have, it would be in my mind that that's who you are and I'd already justify what I'm about to do. Um, so I remember seeing Cicada and um, telling them this, like the paranoia, and it made it worse because once Mason wasn't in my care, like it didn't really happen in the beginning, but later on I was like, you know, especially going through like contact visits and like things like that, it just really started to and you know obviously I like I I, stuff had happened to me when I was in my mum's care you know as as a child not by my mum obviously but you know other people so I don't know whether all this trauma was coming out in in that way especially not having Mason in my care like all all these things um so I told I'd, I'd had this appointment with Cicada and I told them that and I remember when I was released from prison um and I said, Look, if I use, like, this is what happens. This is, this is, you know, I get paranoid about things like this. Um, and I remember after telling her that, like, it didn't, it didn't really happen after that. Mm. Um, and that was my first, my first um, experience of, you know, like talking about something and it actually having a result at the end um, and, and it didn't happen again, mm. you know, it just just came out like it, it 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 sort of did, but it wasn't because I was paranoid. It was because I chose to be like that towards people. Um, but I definitely wasn't paranoid. So um, you know that that's probably the the best experience that I've had with the supports in there. But 
you know other than that it's more for for me it's more um engage keeping engaged with whatever services that you have engaged with in there that can help you outside of there but like I'm not going to do that if I'm using because that's what I'm getting out to do um I'm getting I'm getting out and I'm going to do the same shit I have no intention of fucking doing the right thing you know I might have at one point while I was in there but if I especially if I'm getting out on like bail like I'm going back in anyway um you know so it's I think that it's just, you know, the um, it's it's personal to people if they want to really stay and get like I can't talk for everybody, but from my experience, it was because I didn't feel like I wanted to be engaged with these people. Mm. You know? um, yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I've had these been having these conversations with a lot of people that I, um, I do a program with, um, and I feel like that if 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 there was if there was like some sort of housing that was specifically for people that are leaving prison that is cheap and that you don't have to jump through any hoops for, that you just go straight from there into there, you know, um, and, and not like as in a whole place where everyone from prison has gone into there because that's just no good for anyone, um, you know. So like, you know, a mixed fucking, not like a boarding home, just like housing, you know, if that and and not, you know, you you know if you're a repeat, repeat someone that keeps doing that just to get housing for a little bit like and I feel like that happened and there was a job agency specifically for people with the CRN and they only dealt with people that have criminal reference numbers I feel like shit would fucking work out you know like it's it's just you know I've I've got you know a lot of friends including including my ex you know Mason's dad that are on drug court and um they're not allowed to work Mm. Is that because of the, um, I know that drug court can be quite, um, I'll, I'll say onerous in terms of the what you need to do to comply with the conditions that, that you put on? Yeah, like, but, you know, um, you know, most of these, like, you know, most of these people that are on drug court are on there for, like, I've never been through it, but I've got, like, you know, I've, like I can't even count the amount of people that I, I know that have been through drug court or have, and multiple times. But um, like honestly, if you're you know if you're releasing people on drug onto drug court that have, you know, they've got to be doing a lot of time to get drug court as well. Mm. Um, and and a lot of it is for things like you know you know house car theft, houses, fucking you know, and and drugs and and whatnot. If you're used to making money like that before going into prison and then you come out on drug court you've just sent a link and you're not allowed to work mm. the first thing you know like for me for me a high risk situation for me is not having enough money because I, I will do crime to survive um and and that that's that's just what happens you know pe people are going to do that if they're you know if they're being told that they can't do this and they can't do that but they're you know, they're not giving they're not they're not being given like stable accommodation and 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 pushed into the into the workforce like you know it, it's different if you've gone through a program and you're having to do a relapse prevention plan and um you know you can't just go back into work straight away but if if you're doing a program like that that you know entails you to fucking you know front a magistrate once a week in a room full of people you've done time with then you know, you're more likely going to leave there and fucking rob a house. Mm. 
That's a very interesting insight and something, you know, I hear you talk about if they had this house and a job and I'm like, yes, let's do it. Let's it. it and I often come with, it shouldn't be that hard. It should not yes. be that hard. Um, so we'll talk. We will We will talk. We will see something happen. Um, but you've also brought up, oh, there's so many things you've brought up, but one of the biggest things that I see with women, and I'm sure males, but, I, you know, our project is gender specific, is huge barriers in getting back into the workforce with a criminal record. Huge. They yeah. are desperate to work. They yeah. want to work. Yeah, yeah. Like for me, um, you know, I, you know, going going in and out and being like before, before going to rehab, um, you know, getting a job was not something I was really concerned about. Um, it, but it had crossed my mind on multiple occasions. You know, I'm probably never going to be able to, you know, especially when I'd been classified as a you know a serious violent offender, um, which, which makes it fucking hard. Mm. Um, you know the. Um, you know, it crossed my mind like a few months, or like maybe six or seven months into doing doing the you know being in rehab, um, and I actually contacted so my lawyer who who you know um, she I contacted her and I said look I need I need a um, I need to speak to someone who can give me an answer on um, what countries I'm allowed in and you know th- things like that. Um, and the fact that, you know, because like all those things crossed my mind about, you know, not being able to do certain jobs and not being able to, you know, but then I'm, I'm also in a program with people who are peer support workers who have been through the exact same program, who were doing the, you know, had done the exact same thing that I'm about to do. So, you know, I had that option and I have that option, but, um, you know, there's like all these little things that, you know, even if I wanted to study something, um, you know, I have to make sure I can actually fucking get the job. Mm-hmm. Um so like that that is hard like that that's that's been one of the things that I've actually spoken about in senior therapy was the fact that I'll never be able to do certain jobs um you know like that's um that that's really that has really that's something that I um I regret mm. um is not being able to do um you know certain things and I'll never be allowed to go to certain countries um ever for the rest of my life um so yeah you know those those things that um have really annoyed me but I've also got you know I've you know I've got family who have been in and out of jail as well and I've got uncles who have done a lot of time um a lot of time for you know crimes that um have been way worse than anything I've ever done and you know one of them has just gotten his working with children's check um and he's a serious violent offender, um, you know, for a lot worse things, um, you know, it took him years and years and years, but he got it and he, and, you know, he had no problems um, entering, you know, New Zealand, for instance, um, which is um, a country who, you know, my mum's my from New Zealand. Um, so, you know, I have a way around of being able to, you know, go, go there through a dual citizenship, but, you know, I, I haven't really thought of, traveling anywhere else because it's not something that I get to you know I have the free will like everybody else it's and it is something of course when you're in that cycle that's it's not something that you think about into the future exactly yeah tell me okay so you've had repeated in and out um I do I just want to touch on I, I was actually 
gobsmacked when you told me about the first time you were released from oh yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I was um you know I was released I had no idea where the fuck I was because obviously it's the first time I've been there um and you know I was given like a you know like a train fucking thing um and that that was it so I had gotten to, um, I had no phone on me, nothing. Um, I had. But you walk to- out the doors of a place that you don't know where you are. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I got to the, got to the train station um, and I got to Flinders Street. Um, and this guy asked me for a lighter. Um, so I asked him for a cigarette, um, you know, <laughs> and. Then and then he was like, you know, this is like on the Flinders Street fucking steps. And then he's like, hey, you know, do you, do you get on the gear? I'm like, yes, I do. And you know, within fucking ten minutes, I'm using with some random. And we ain't like, and he didn't just have a little bit; like, he had a lot. Um, and you know, so I wasn't even out of prison a fucking hour and a half, and I'm already back into it with someone that I didn't even know. And that's not something that I would normally do. Mm. Um, yeah, and, you know, um, and then the second time, um, the second time I had left, um, I got a, so um, my mum knew where I was, but I, I'd actually told my mum that I was going to be staying uh, in Coburg, um, which was true until the hotel double booked a room. Um, and then he was like, oh, so you can just share with these guys. I was like, what the fuck? So I called up. Um, I called up like the crisis out, like whatever that number is and told them what, what was going on. So you were released to homelessness or to a hotel yeah. that was double booked? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I ended up um, doing what I needed to do, you know, and they ended up they ended up um, sending me to Dandenong. I was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I know where I'm going. So I went to the Dandenong, I went to the Dandenong Comfort Inn. Um, no one knew where I was. My mum thought I was in Coburg, didn't have a phone on me. Um, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm asleep. And then three o'clock in the morning, I hear this knock, knock, knock on the door. And I'm like, what the fuck? No one knows I'm in here. So I'm like, oh, it'll go away. And it just kept, hap- kept happening and kept knocking. So I opened the door and he's like, this person, this random is like, asked me someone, like some certain name was there. And I'm like, no. And he's like, do you use? I'm like, I do, <laughs> you know. And then he ended up in the room and then and we were using together, like even prescription pills and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just kicked off from there again. Um you know, and then and the then third time? The third time was I'd actually been sentenced. So I I had um, you know, I'd spent a little bit longer in there this time. Um, and I was at Tarangawa. Um, so I was driven all the way to my front doorstep by mm-hmm. re- reconnect or mm-hmm. yeah. Um and um uh someone who I knew um from you know from the area um who was friends with my housemate. Um, and she had, so like she, so she's been in there as well anyway. Um, so I'm at home. It's like, you know, I got, I got home at like three o'clock in the afternoon or something. Um, and at this stage, it's like, you know, six o'clock, six thirty at night. And, um, hear like this fucking beeping out the front. Like we had like big gates anyway. So I've gone out the front. I'm like, what the fuck? And, um, you know, this person has has rocked up there because my housemate owes, owes her money um, and she was looking for him and he wasn't there. 
Um, he didn't even know I'd gotten out. Um, and she offered me gear. And I was like, Matt, <laughs> you know, didn't even have to fucking call anyone or go anywhere. So, like, this is what was happening. Um, so, obviously, uh, leaving there this time, I, well, I was bailed, you know, to rehab. Um, but that- what made you ready? I can't imagine if you got that offer the first or second time that you would have taken it up because rehab is a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, it was something that was said to me um, you know, back when I was going through um, DHS, um, I remember the the worker being like, I think you should go to rehab. And I was like, do I have to? Like, is it ordered? And he's like, no. I'm like, well, I'm not fucking going then, you know. I probably should have done it then. Um, but, but it, you know, it. Um, I don't think I would have gone through what I went through now. So um, I need, yeah. And it, it wasn't, it actually wasn't something that was offered to me. It was my idea. Um, and... Um, I actually contemplated after it was being, it was um, accepted. I was like, oh, and this is something that you learn in the program as well. You go through this cycle before going to rehab. Um, and, yeah, like I had co- contemplated it when I was accepted and then I was like, oh, you know, I don't think I need rehab. Like oh, I'm good, I'm good. But I also had no intention of giving up drugs. Even the day that I went there, like even, even then, it was only it was only like a week or so later when I was like, it wasn't that I had no intention. I just didn't think it would ever happen. Mm. You know, through this program. No, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it was, wasn't until like, it was, wasn't that long. It was like a week later. I was like, fuck yes, I can do this. This mm. is so much better. Like, um, yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, it's just just one of those those things. I even wrote a letter to the judge saying why I think um I should be bailed mm. to rehab. Um, yeah, and it worked out for me. And, uh, like I, I, you know, ha- I think I the, introduced this podcast and said that a lot of people would be surprised of how the stars need to align in order to get somebody from prison bailed to a rehab and to coordinate all of that. So I know um, that your legal rep at the time um, is phenomenal, Hannah Lethleen. Um, She, you know, she really worked to make that happen. But in the end, it was you that drove that, that had that willingness, wrote a letter to the judge, you wanted this and you were ready. So, and yeah, she, you know, she, she was amazing. She's, she was the best um, lawyer that I've, I've ever had. You know, she, you know, previous ones have either been like, look, um, you know, either we're going to get you out on kiss bail or bail, um, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, other ones were like, look, if you do, if you get sentenced, it'll be easier for you. Like, you know, I, I'd only ever been given a CCO one time and then it was retracted. It was actually cancelled and I was put on kiss. So I've never really done CCOs and things like that, you know, um, whereas... Hannah, she said to me, you're facing a charge. Um, and she actually asked me the story. And um, I thought, fuck it, you know, if, if I'm already in here for something because I was, I was facing a few different charges. And, um, you know, I, I actually told her what, you know, what it is that I'd actually done. So this person was accusing me of saying or doing this thing. Um, and I was like, no, this is how it went. And I actually stayed on remand for a lot, that virtually that whole time to fight one charge. 
um, which she she got dropped. Actually, two of them. So I had I was facing a threat to kill as well, and I'd already done I'd already previously done five months another time for that. Um, so I would have been facing a lot longer, um, you know, because I'd already I'd already done time for a similar charge of uh, the same charge. So she had two charges dropped um, just because she said like if you if you stay on if you just stay in there stay in Ramadan. Um, we'll keep I'll keep fighting this do you know what I mean and then you know in in that in between that is when I was like I'm going to apply for rehab you need mm. to help and she did yeah that's yeah. so you've been so on an enormous journey and the amount of processing that you would have done through your how long how long has it been since you went from prison to rehab how how, how long so I got arrested on the 31st of October, 2019. Mm-hmm. So it's been, um, so like, I've got it in my phone. So I have been, I have this app, it's called I Am Sober. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been clean for one year, nine months and 17 days. So that's been, you know, the whole journey so I, I went to I went to rehab on the 26th of Feb 2020 um yeah mm. and yeah. you know I think rehab for a lot of people is something that they're not very aware of it does take a lot of self um discovery and healing and processing and all of that sort of stuff yeah yeah and it's definitely hard worth it though oh it's uh my hardest day and this is something that I've heard so much my hardest day in rehab is never as hard as my hardest day in addiction Mm. yeah Yeah. uh like honestly I have I I reckon I am so lucky to have just happened to have been able to cross your path on in February 2020 um because I saw that you had something there and you had, you know, one thing that you definitely have is that strong will. So, you know, obviously you can use that to your advantage. And I think that, you know, all of this work that you've done is leading to somewhere. Is Yeah. 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 So what, what are your aspirations? What, what do you want to do next? Um, so, you know, I think first I will... Um, I will just work, mm-hmm. um, which will be something like traffic management um, seems to be the thing. Um, <laughs> Good money, though, I've heard. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that. But, um, you know, I, I will do the um, peer support training through Shark. Um, you know, uh, I will, you know, I, there's there's a few there's a few different things that I've been looking at doing Um especially during COVID lockdown, there's lots of things I could be studying and stuff like that. But, um, you know, at first I wanted to, so there's a few uh, few peer support workers or peer, peer workers and uh, there's a peer worker and a support worker in um, rehab that have both been through rehab um, who I get along with really well. And, you know, they've both been, they're both males, they've both been to prison and they've both done the program that I'm doing and now one's peer support worker, one's support worker, but they both, they both now work in the drug courts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been offered by them um, 
you know, one of them has offered like, I'll be your mentor when you, you know, when you get to mentoring. So that's where I am now. Um, so I've got that, but I've also been looking at um, the domestic violence support. So, you know, and I think, I think, um, you know, from, from what I've seen and the amount of different things that I can jump on and do, um, you know, on Zoom, you know, like NA and like Smart Recovery and all, all of my, my peers that I've, like my friends that I've done program with, they're either facilitating those groups, they're fucking chairing NA, they're, you know, all, all of these things. And they do heaps of other stuff, you know, like, you know, they do two or three days work here or, you know, uh, they're just... So for me, it feels like I can really just jump all over the place in the one field. Yep. Uh, I don't want to be an AOD worker. I don't think that I could. Like this is one of the reasons why I haven't really jumped straight into that whole helping, um, you know, being a worker through the drug courts is because one of my high-risk situations is being in court. Um, I know a lot of, lot, of, lot of my friends are still on drug court and, like, it would just be too high-risk Um for me at the time like I'd, I'd have to wait a few years I think before I could really go back into into that it's like the front line of fucking you know, mm-hmm. war down there <laughs> is drug court <laughs> front line of war um yeah. but hats off to you for knowing like that's what it is it's knowing your high-risk situations and yeah. if if you are not at the stage where you can face them head first then you need to, you know, do what you're doing and go round until you get to that place. So that's, you know, that's huge insight to have. Yeah. So much potential. I'm like, what can we do? What can we do? (laughs) Um, Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we finish up? I could keep talking to you all day, but that's... um... I don't know, like I think right now I'm still writing my completion to complete the program before I graduate. Um, and the one thing that keeps popping up in my mind to say is, um, you know, when I started I started doing senior therapy in um, rehab and I remember, I remember walking into my first session and looking at my senior therapist and saying, I think I'm a psychopath. <laughs> and, he said, and he looked at me and he said, because you're concerned of that, you are not a psychopath, you know. So I was... I was fucking over the moon, but I legitimately thought when I'm going in there, I thought I'm never going to get out of here. Like this is going to be fucked. Um, they're going to they're going to fucking admit me somewhere if I tell them this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's probably one of the things that you know that's what that's what I had in my mind. You I thought, formed that identity yourself. You oh, yeah yeah um, and um, yeah you know I think I personally think that um, you know rehab rehab is is um one of the it, it, rehab's been the best decision that i have made my whole entire life and i've made some pretty fucking good decisions but this one <laughs> this one's definitely been the best one like i have you know i i have been given an environment to because it's a behavioral change program um you know i've been given the environment to explore that stuff um reflect a lot um you know do senior therapy I I even wrote a letter a breakup letter to my reputation Mm. that was part of my therapy which was great um you know I have so many different um connections in the you know just just with relationships that I've formed with facilitators peer support workers support workers 
you know, um, like that's just, just, that's just on that level. But the amount of, like the friends that I have now, like I've always had friends, mm. but it's different when someone is like, you don't, it's, you don't need, you don't need to tell them you want support. There's just support all the fucking time. And, you know, I'm still, I still talk to, and it's, it took me a really, like, it took me, it took me a year of being, being in rehab before I, I jumped back on Facebook. Um, and, you know, I've got, I've got, I've spoken to a few, like I've got a few friends that I've known for, you know, most of them I've known for like you know, 15 years that are on Facebook. And then there's, you know, one or two people that I've known for like, you know, six years. But other than that, like, you know, I have no intention of um, contacting anyone that was, cause they were just acquaintances really. Um, like the, yeah, just, just the support that it's it, like, you actually love these people. You actually care what what they're fucking doing, you know? Um, Genuine connection. That, oh, yeah. I keep saying yeah. it. It's like, oh, there's that word. Yeah. Then. But and, yeah. and, and when you have that, when you have that tribe around you that you feel genuinely loved and supported, then, you know, I can imagine that that just reduces the chances of you reaching out to people that weren't really, didn't have your best interests at heart. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, the first thing that I started hearing when I when I went into rehab was um, you know, um, connection is the opposite to addiction. And it never really fucking sat with me, you know, obviously in the beginning, so I didn't really know what I was getting into. And then I'd done, I'd never heard of TED Talks before until fucking rehab. And then I remember seeing it a lot on these TED Talks. And then when um, you know, it wasn't wasn't until like, you know, halfway through my time there, um, was when I was like, oh, I get it. Like I, I get it now, you know, like you're less likely to use with if you have connections because in that moment where you can't do that whole, um, you know, if you feel like you, you want to use and you, and you can't do that whole, you know, the four days like deep breath, you know, distract, all that stuff, which is not something I've really ever been, because I've learned that through harm minimization in prison. But um, so you, you, pick, you pick up the phone and you, you call someone and be like, hey, I need, I'm going to use, like, you need to stop me. <laughs> tell me, <laughs> tell me not to, not to do this. Um, you know, and it's, and, and that's like when it gets to the end, but, you know, instead of, instead of holding on to something, you know, if someone tells you something or something's happened and, and, um, you know, as, as addicts, we would just deal with it on our own. Um, like you just call someone and they, they don't even, you know, my, like before, before rehab, if you rang someone and told them something, most of the time you would get, um, well, me, I would get, why, what are you telling me for? Like, I can't help you. Cause I would be the one that would help everybody else. Like if I needed help, people would be like, fuck off. You know, you don't need help. So, you know, picking up the phone when you're having a hard time, like struggling, and it might even be just be this tiny little thing. It doesn't need to be a huge struggle. And you tell someone something, they're not, they're not there to tell you and give you advice. They're just there to be like, Hey, it's all good. You'll make it through. You know, you don't, you don't need to be told like, to do this or to do that it's just like cool like I, i'm listening or you get someone being like oh, the same fucking thing happened to me and this is what i did so like and yeah i, I respond better to things like that you know like I've, I've it's it's like um for me like when stuff like that would happen it was it's like being yelled at like i don't respond well to being yelled at don't yell because i'm not gonna it, it goes it does it goes straight over my head like i will not listen um yeah like I connection is is the opposite to addiction and, and it fucking works the only thing that you really need to have is a support network and people especially like if you're going into into recovery 
your support work, your support network needs to be people that are in recovery already. Um, and that's just, it just works. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, clearly that then is the key to breaking the cycle of, of, you know, what you've experienced in your 20s and going in and out of jail. Like this is life changing and a different path for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see what you've got to, what you're <laughs> going to bring. I'm, I'm excited and really appreciate your time. Um, I am going to stop recording. So thank you <laughs> so much for sharing.